Hello everyone, thank you for listening to today's message. My name is Pastor Dwayne Life, lead pastor at the Life Point Community Church. What you're going to hear today is a message from one of our recent services. And we believe that by listening to today's message, you're going to be blessed and encouraged from the Word of God. You're going to be strengthened, and we believe that God's going to speak to you in a very fresh, new, and real way through today's message. So thanks again for listening. Be blessed and encouraged, and we love you. God bless. Um, New Year's resolutions. Let me see. Did you make them? Who, who made them? A couple of you. Who, who made one when you just don't want to admit it? Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, I, I, my New Year's resolution was to not make a New Year's, New Year's resolution. So that's, that's where mine was. Um, I started to quote a whole bunch of statistics about how many people make New Year's resolutions and how many people break them. Um, but we're not going to do that. Just how many of you know that most of the time they just don't work? Most of you guys know my friend Brian Duffy, who worked in the health club industry for years and years and years and years and years. And I asked him one time, I'm like, what's it like on the first Monday of the new year at your health club? He says, the madhouse. It's crazy. It's just people are coming. I said, how long does that last? That influx of people, he said, maybe weeks. And then it's right back to where it was. Why, why do you think that is? Why do you think we don't do such a great job at keeping these resolutions that we make? Why do you think that is? Why do you think? Because we all, we, we might not have verbalized a resolution, but I bet most of us would have said, well, I want to lose a little weight. I want to, uh, you know, I want to treat my wife better. I want to, you know, not, you know, whatever. Why, why do you think that those tend to fail? If you, if you take a note, write this down. Most resolutions fail because they typically involve dramatic change. I'm a, you know, it may look like this. Okay, well, I'm an overweight, two-pack-a-day alcoholic on December 31st. And on January 1, I'm a health nut. Doesn't work that way, does it? I've, I've used this kind of illustration before, but it's like this. You are more like a cruise ship than you are a speedboat. I, a speedboat, you can turn around on a dime. and it's, How many know it takes miles to turn around a cruise ship? And you, human beings just aren't wired for quick, drastic change. And so when you try to go from one thing on December 31st to the complete, separate, different, 180-degree opposite on January... It, you're just not wired that way, and when it don't, doesn't work, you get discouraged and you give up. And that's why most resolutions fail. We're just not wired for that kind of drastic, immediate change. And anyway, the goal is not a successful resolution. I, I can have a successful resolution. I resolve in 2016 to eat more Mexican food, to drink more coffee, and watch more sports on TV. That will be a successful resolution. You with me? See, the goal is not a successful res- resolution. What's the goal? Today's message is time for a change. The goal is life change. You with me? The goal is life change. So I asked you, I asked you, how many of you made resolutions? Some, and there was, 
there were some hands and there were some half hands. And How many of you would say, Dwayne, I need for something in my life to change in 2016. Now let me see your hands. Most of us. I hope you can see this. I, I started to do this on the big screen and it just wouldn't have had the same. What do you think most people's New Year's resolution involves? Losing weight, okay. So how, how many understand that, that we are body, mind, and spirit, right? You with me? All right, I'm going to flip this around a little bit because Tim can't see it. We are body, but Sam, I want to go back and forth. Can y'all see? Can y'all see that? Nope. I told y'all to put it up here to begin with. <laughs> All right. We're body, we're mind, and we're spirit. And so it's funny how most of our resolutions will revolve around one of those, one of those things. We'll talk about. Donna said it already. We, we talk about losing weight, right? So it, they're physical resolutions. We want to lose weight. We want to get on the treadmill more. We want to exercise more. We want to join the health club. We're going to, you know, eat clean. Does that sound like anybody's thoughts for so far this year? Okay, mine too. And you have, sometimes they're emotional, mental kind of, resolutions like for instance i want to read more turn off the tv some and read more that's a good goal right turn off the tv some read more i want you know i want to stimulate my mind more i want to learn a new hobby i want to learn a new language i want to do something with my mind this year that's a but what about this what about a spiritual resolution what what might that look like i'm gonna go to church more frequently um, a big one this time of year is I'm going to read my Bible through in 2016. I, I decided one time that I was going to read the Bible through in 90 days. It took me a year and a half to read the Bible through in 90 days. And sometimes our, our, what needs to change kind of falls in between them. Um, maybe, maybe your marriage. See, that, that could be a physical thing, right? It could be an emotional thing, but it can also be a, a spiritual thing. Here's what I believe happens in the life of a believer. I'm going to call it holy discomfort. How many of you know that God loves you enough to make one of these areas uncomfortable to draw you closer to Him here? Well, we want to work on our marriage. Well, how many know that if, if I'm growing closer to God and my wife's growing closer to God, then all of a sudden we're growing close to each other? I, I understand that there's all this stuff that we want to change. There's all our, our weight. We, we talked about it all. And here's what I want you to grasp and and write this down. Internal change precedes external change. 
that if I want God to change what's happening on the outside, something's got to change on the inside. If I want God to change my marriage, then I've got to be a better man. If I want to be a better father, I've got to be a better man. If I want to be more healthy, then I, gotta, I need the Spirit. I need God to, to, to birth a spirit of discipline in my life. How many know that overeating is a spiritual thing? If you'd been here for God's at war, you'd have heard, you'd have heard a, a whole lesson on that. We all said, almost everybody in the room said, something needs to change. And here's what I'm going to submit to you. That what needs to change is you, me, on the inside. What needs to change is who we are on the inside. That God needs to change who we are. See, I I grew up with this idea that when I gave my life to Christ, you know, it was done. But how many know that's not how it works? That God's continually trying to grow me. And and Paul said it like this, to work out my own salvation in fear and trembling. And so I'm just going to submit it like this. You're probably not where you need to be with God, nor am I. We've got places, we all have room to grow. You with me? We have have room to grow. That's what we're going to talk about today. If you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 3, it'll be on the screen, it's in your bulletin. It's at the very top part of the bulletin. talk about internal change philippians 3 verses 13 and 14 i'm going to read it and then we're going to go back and kind of attack the verse a little bit it says no dear brothers and sisters i have not achieved it but i focus on this one thing forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead i press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which god through christ jesus is calling us go back i want you to circle a couple of words First of all, he says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. Sort of that word, it. Now, if you want to know what Paul's it was, back up a few verses and you can read what he's talking about. I have not achieved it. He's talking about his own pursuit with Christ. But here's what I'm going to ask you. What's your it? When I said, what needs to change in your life? What was the first thing that popped in your head? What's your it? What's that one thing that God needs to change, that you need to change. In fact, Paul said it like this. I focus on this 11 things. One thing. I focus on this one thing. What's your one thing that's keeping you from becoming all that God wants you to be and from doing all that God wants you to do? What's your one thing? Is it, is it an addiction? Is it a relationship? Is it a discipline? What's your one thing? Well, I, got a, I got a whole bunch of things, Dwayne. I can't focus on one thing. Let me, let me explain it like this. Um, and you're going to laugh at me, but I love you enough to put myself out there for ridicule. Um, at my house, we both work full-time, and so we share some of the household chores at the house. 
Now, I will just tell you that her share is bigger than my share. She takes on a lot more than I take on, and that's just how it works in our house. But there's a couple things that she likes me to do that I do, even though I don't want to. One of them is I make the bed. It looks awful when I'm done with it, but I make the bed. It makes her feel good to walk in after, after the day and the bed's being made. And so what I, here's my goal for the morning, okay? Here's my goal for the morning is I want to get out of bed in time to go sit down and have a quality devotional time. I want to go do something on the treadmill for a few minutes, two minutes, four, I don't know, just a little while. I'm getting better. Y'all leave me alone. I'm doing better. I, I want to eat a healthy breakfast. And, you know, chicken minis are not a healthy breakfast. Just saying, they're a wonderful breakfast, but they're not exactly healthy. And I want to do all that and and be able to get here by 9 o'clock so I can get the stuff done that I need to get done for the church. But I just told you that I'm not crazy about making a bed. So if my day gets a little, my morning gets a little hectic, what do you think is going to be the first thing that gets pushed aside? All right, I'm going I'm to need you not, no, no commentary from my wife, okay? It's, that's usually the first thing. But listen to me, listen to me. That's an indication of how the rest of my morning is going. See, chances are, if I didn't have time to make the bed, my, my devotion wasn't what it was supposed to be. And I probably didn't spend enough as much time on the treadmills I needed to. And I probably wound up, you know, eating you know, something unhealthy for breakfast. And then flew into this building, not into the building literally, because that would be destructive, in in a little bit of a frantic. You you understand what I'm saying? So it may look like this. I don't make the bed. I I, I didn't do my devotion. I, I, I didn't eat a healthy breakfast. I'm trying to get here really fast. I'm flying down New Jersey Road. The blue lights light up behind me. I'm rebellious because I didn't do my devotion that morning. I decide I'm going to run from the police car, and, and I'm doing 95 miles an hour. I turn my car over. I'm, I, I get knocked out. I wake up in handcuffs in the jail cell. Mark Ford's standing there. He's trying to bail me out of jail, and he says, what happened? I said, I didn't make the bed. All right, maybe that was a little silly. But how many know that the right, listen to me, watch this. The right one thing can affect everything. So what's your one thing? Paul said his one thing was forgetting the past. Maybe that's your one thing. Maybe there's parts of 2015 that you're glad are gone. Maybe there were great successes in 2015. Either way, it's in the past. Now, there's nothing wrong with glancing in the rearview mirror from time to time. You can learn from the successes and failures of your past, right? Nothing wrong with glancing there, but how many know you cannot drive your car with your eyes glued to the rearview mirror? Nothing wrong with glancing there, but you've got to put your eyes on what's in front of you, not what's behind you. So here, here maybe, maybe 2015, there were tremendous failures there. Guess what? It's done. Leave it there. In fact, he goes on to say this. 
looking forward to what lies ahead. Somebody needs to write this down. I didn't give you a blank for it, but write this down. Everything God has for you. Man, I, I, I'm telling you, somebody needs to grasp this. Everything God has for you is in front of you, not behind you. What God has for you is in your present and in your future. It's not in your past. Everything God has for you is in front of you. So the great successes, the horrendous failures of 2015, learn from them and move on. Celebrate the victory and move on. Weep for a moment over the failures and then move on. Everything God has for you is in front of you, not behind you. And then Paul says, I press on to reach the end of the race. I press on. That word press literally means in pursuit of a goal. Here's the problem. Oftentimes, we start this new year and we don't have a goal. Can I just tell you where where Dwayne is? There's a lot of externals that I want to see happen. There's, there's a lot of stuff that I want to see happen in my own life. There's a lot of stuff I want to see happen here, at our church, in my family, for my children. But my one thing is to pursue Christ as I never have. And here's what I believe. I believe that if I'll do that, if I'll pursue Jesus with everything in me, what did Matthew say in Matthew 6 and 33? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So we press on. When obstacles come, and guess what? They will. We press on. When failure happens, and it will. We press on. When those around you, even those that are closest to you, discourage you, press on. In the midst of depression, press on. When I just don't feel like. See, we're going to talk about a couple things today that I'm going to challenge you to do even when you don't feel like it. I feel like I'm a substitute teacher again, <laughs> swinging this at you. There are things I'm going to challenge you to do today that there'll come a point in this 21 days that you won't feel like it. You don't want to do it, and I'm going to tell you to press on. Do it anyway. How many understand that part of the Christian walk is something we don't like to talk about, It's called discipline. It means we do it even when we don't feel like doing it. I'm going to let you know a little secret. We we ought to be reading our Bibles even when we don't feel like it. We ought to be talking to Jesus. You ought to be serving somewhere even when you don't feel like it. I'm going to let you know a little secret. There's been times I've stood on this stage and preached to you when I didn't feel like it. See, y'all look at me with like these hurt puppy dog eyes when I said that. 
Some, how many, can we just get real? Sometimes you don't feel like it, do you? Sometimes you get up, it's time to do your devotion. I don't feel like it. I'd rather watch ESPN. We're going to talk about some discipline today. We do it. We press on. And can I tell you? Here's, here's why. Let's go and read the rest. He said, I press on to the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. That word calling is, literally means an invitation. Christ is inviting you to pursue the plan and purpose that he has for your life that was destined for you before you ever drew a breath. But how many know if you get an invitation in the the mail, you have a choice, don't you? You're going to accept it? Are you going going to tear it up? You're going to throw it away? So, I believe collectively as a church, Christ is inviting us to a deeper walk. Now, maybe you're here. Let me just give you a little disclaimer. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christ follower today. And I'm talking about things like a a deeper walk with Christ. And you're like, man, that's kind of foreign. I can think of no greater time than the beginning of the year for you to begin a brand new walk with Christ. You're interested in Him or you wouldn't be here. His invitation is for us to pursue Him. So, so what, what do I need to pursue? What's my one thing? See, I asked you that several times and, and, there, and you're still going, I just don't know. Write this down. Direction is found in the midst of pursuit. L- let me show you what that might look like. Um, we, we were at Karen's mom's funeral this past, this past week. Beautiful service. And for some reason, I've never, I never have figured out why they do this, but, but the hearse is first, and then they put the pastors behind the hearse. Not really sure why they do that, but they do that. And so, my job was not to know exactly where we were going. What was my job? To follow the hearse. In fact, he came back and he said, listen, stay close. Don't let no gap come between you and me. Stay close. So I really didn't care what the next turn was. All I cared about was staying close to what was in front of me. And see, I'm telling you, that you'll find direction for your life. You'll find direction for your family. You'll find direction for your career. You'll find direction for your education. You'll find direction for your calling and for your ministry when you keep your eyes close to who's in front of you and who's in front of you ought to be Jesus. You'll find direction in the midst of your pursuit of Christ. See, we want it the other way around. God, you tell me where I'm going and then I'll follow you. No, it doesn't work that way. I mean, I'll never forget Don and I, when we moved back here to plant this church, I, I sat down with Pastor John Cobalt. Many of you guys know him. I love that man. He was a, a big part of, of getting our church off the ground. Every Monday, he would call me and say, How, how'd it go? Until he got very, very sick. And I'll never forget the first prayer that he prayed for us. We're standing there at the Lawrenceville Church of God, and he grabbed my hand, grabbed Donna's hand, and he said, God, there are more questions than there are answers. 
and, and it was like, it was just like pressure left me because I was trying to fill in all the blanks. And can I tell you, you, you you're not going to fill in all the blanks for this next year. There's going to be some stuff that happens to you this year that you can't anticipate today, good and bad. And the, and the greatest way to navigate through the unknown is to keep your eyes on the one that's already been there. Follow him closely. And what we're going to talk about today is some ways that you and I can do that. And again, they're disciplined. Everybody say discipline. We're going to talk about two of them. Write this down. A consistent prayer life is vital to the abundant Christian life. A consistent prayer life. I don't know why we don't we don't teach this enough and i'm not just talking about here i'm talking about across the body of christ we don't teach this enough i want you i want you to listen to this the devil doesn't really care if you put your ties in the bag later he doesn't really care that you're here he don't want you to talk to god he'll do everything he can to interrupt your prayer life how many of you have had beautiful, quiet mornings until you decided to kneel and pray? Phone rings, kids wake up, septic tank overflows. Jeremiah 33 and 3 says this, call to me and I will answer you. Listen, I'm going to read the rest of that scripture, but isn't that enough? Call to me and I'll answer you. There I go, waving that marker around again. Call to me, and I will answer you. Isn't that enough? Well, Dwayne, I hadn't heard from God. Call to him, and he'll answer you. Or he's a liar. I'll answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you don't know. When you're walking down a path where there are more questions than there are answers, call to God, he will answer you. Dwayne, that doesn't make sense to me. Doesn't God already know what I need? Doesn't he? Doesn't God know my need? So why can't he just take care of things without me kneeling and praying? Could he? Well, he's God. He can do what he wants to. Why? Why does he institute the discipline of prayer in the life of his children? Listen. Because you and I were created for relationship. I wonder how it'd be if, now, my boys are older now, and they're a little more independent. But when they were younger, if all there was was, you know, Donna fixing the meals, me paying for the house for them to live in, and there was no interaction, how, what a boring house that would be. See, See, God instituted prayer because he loves for you to call his name. He loves for you to recognize that you depend on him. And sometimes there may come a point when you'll realize that he's all you have. Maybe it's that point you realize he's all you need. 
He loves for his children to spend time with him and talk to him and cast their care on him. That's why. And the truth of the matter is, if, if you would say, I'm, I'm not where I want to be in my walk with Christ. In almost every, in almost every situation, you can point it to this area. That there's been a breakdown in your prayer life. Listen to me. You can come to church and walk away from God. You can tithe and walk away from God. It's real hard to walk away from God when you're talking to Him every day. There is nothing that brings direction clarity, focus, perspective, and power to the life of a believer than an intentional, disciplined, genuine prayer life. So here's what we're going to do for 21 days. Now, maybe maybe praying every day, and I'm not beating you up, okay? What's in the past is where? We're starting today, right? Maybe praying every day is not something that you're accustomed to doing. So we're going to help you. In your bulletin, did they get in the bulletin or are they on the table? They're, in your bulletin is to, are 21 days of prayer emphasis points. And so here's what we're going to ask you to do. That every day you pray and, and you specifically pray about one of those things. Whatever day we're on. And we're going to go a step further. Some of you remember last year we sent you emails every day to help, help remind you what we're praying for each day. And here's my great prayer. They tell us that anything you do for three weeks becomes habit. I, 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 my prayer is that your life is transformed and you become a person of prayer at the end of these three weeks. Because here's what you'll... This isn't just an exercise. I believe that when we pray for all of these individual needs that God will intervene. And God will do a work. And God will transform the life of our church and the life of us as individuals, the life of the families attached here. Could it be that because a few dozen people begin to pray about the spiritual restoration of this community, that God turns His ear towards us and does what only He can do and draws men and women and teenagers and husbands and wives and children to the cross of Christ? Could it be? Well, if it could be, then let's do our part. When we do our part, God will always do His. In Jeremiah 33, you know what your part is? Call to me. God does everything else. Call to me and I'll answer you. I'll show you great and wondrous things. And then we're going to ask you to fast. Okay, I saw, you, I saw the head go, oh, Lord. Now I'm going to tell you, until we went to Statesboro, we didn't do this a lot. But it was a big deal to our church in Statesboro. And I'm, I'm, just let me relieve some misconceptions. That fasting is for those crazy, lunatic, fringe Christians that are out there and, you know, no. Um, that fasting is some magic button you push in heaven that 
gets you what you need from God. No. That's not what fasting is. Fasting is a discipline. And I'm going to tell you why we should do it. Because Jesus did it. If we're followers of Jesus, and Jesus did it, we should do it. Now, I'm, can, can I get just real practical with you for just a couple minutes, okay? There's, there's basically, there's several different kinds of fast. And here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to stand here and tell you what to do. Because there's also scripture in the New Testament where, where fasting should be something very private. And so I'm not going to tell you what to fast, how to fast. I'm going to tell you to pray and ask the Lord what he would have you do. But just so I can give you some information, there, there's, there's a couple different kinds of fast. There's total fast where you do without anything but water for a specified period of time. Um, that's pretty hardcore. Um, it, it's, it's cleansing. It's a, it's a beautiful, uh, I, hey, I'm just going to tell you, when, when I've done that kind of fast in the past, <laughs> do you know your, your appetite is the most primal urge in your life? If you can say no to your gut, you can say no to anything else. Come on, somebody. If you can say no to your appetite, you can say no to anything else. So there's that kind of fast. Now, I will, let me give you a little disclaimer. Um, if, if you've got health issues, just call your doctor before you do that. Uh, Dwayne, that's not, that's not being, uh, you know, you're, you're not being a man of faith. No, I'm being a man of wisdom. You know, because if you're diabetic and you don't eat and you take your medicine, you're going to pass out. We're going to take you to the hospital. Right? And then there's, there's partial fasts. A great partial fast that we've done in the past is called the Daniel fast. And I don't have time to go through the book of Daniel and tell you the whole story. But Daniel was recruited by Nebuchadnezzar. Or not recruited, he was captured. And they was going to give him all this, this luxurious food. And Daniel said, no, I want fruits and vegetables. And, and by the way, if you think you go on a Daniel fast and lose weight, read your Bible. Daniel gained weight in three weeks. The Bible says he was fatter than all the king's men. So I will tell you that that's a great, the Daniel fast, I don't think they made it in your bulletin, but the, on the back table there's some guidelines for Daniel fast. Real simply, it's you, you do fruits and vegetables and, and juices and, and water for 21 days. Now, listen to me. People have said, Dwayne, I just can't do that. Okay, I'm not asking you to. I'm telling you, if you want to, this, this is a great, yeah, do what God wants you to do. Um, let me tell you what won't, you won't die. You, you, you probably, you know, people say, I'll have less energy. You probably will actually have more uh, because once you purge that caffeine out of your system, and by the way, if you come off caffeine, do it slow because I don't want your head to explode. <laughs> True story. And then there's, there's a selective fast. And, and many people do this. There's, I, I'm going to do without um, sweets for, you know, I'm going to lay off my 3 o'clock Snicker bar. And spend that time that I would normally, you know, talking to the Lord. I, and, and again, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to ask you to pray. And then whatever the Lord lays on your heart. Now, now once you start, here's your challenge. Finish. And once you start, 
And here's what will happen at the end of your fast. You'll feel closer to God. Period. I'm not going to tell you that you're going to get a bucket of money in the mail. I'm not going to tell you that every disease you ever had will be healed instantaneously. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus, in this discourse, assumes that his followers are going to do three things. It's an assumption, by the way. It's not a command. He's assuming that you're going to do this. These three things in Matthew chapter 6. That you're going to pray. That you're going to fast. And that you're going to give. So why do we do it? Because Jesus did it. And he assumes that we're supposed to. Here's what you need to understand. Fasting doesn't change God. Fasting changes me. Fasting isn't this tool to get what I want from God. Listen, you need to grasp this. Fasting isn't a tool to get what I want from God. Fasting is a discipline so I can give God what he needs from me. You with me? Bow your heads with me. Donna's going to come and she's going to play softly. I know we've said a lot of things today and I know I've, I've thrown a lot of information at you and I've thrown a lot of words at you and I just, I, just want to, I just want to stop here with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And I want to challenge you. First of all, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not following Jesus, make a choice today. Make a decision today to follow him with the rest of your life. The Bible says we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us. They also said, if any man wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow him. The choice is not just to pray a prayer. The choice is to make a decision to follow Jesus. And I pray you'll make that choice today. I also pray that you'll make a choice to participate in 21 days of prayer and fasting. want to be able to say that that a vast majority if not all of our church are participating in this there's power in unity i believe that the bible says how good and pleasant it is when men dwell together in unity and i know i've given you a list of stuff to pray for but i want you to hear me that thing that you need changed in your life what better way than to start this year by taking these first 21 days and saying, God, I desperately need a change in my life. I des- de- desperately need a change in my attitude. I desperately need a change in my marriage. And pray about that every day. I don't know why. I don't know how. But there's something powerful in that kind of consecration. So in just a moment, when you're when the ushers come by with a bag, if, if you'll participate with us in the, in the 21 days of prayer and fasting, now just let me, let me before I pray for you, I want to tell you this. By saying that you're going to participate in 21 days of prayer and fasting, that's not saying that you're going to fast for 21 days. I hope that you will. But maybe maybe one day you're going to do something. One, if, if that's what God lays on your heart, then you're participating. 
I'm not going to be the fast police. And by the way, I hadn't told you what I was doing yet either, have I? And I'm really not going to. I mean, if you really, really, really want to know, then I'll tell you privately, but it's not important. It ought to be between you and God. But I want to pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, your presence has been so evident in this place today. And for that, we're so thankful and grateful. God, I know that in this place, God, many of us need need a change. We need a change of direction. We need a change of behavior. We need a change of attitude. We need a change in our marriage, in our families, in our homes, in our careers, in our schools. Something needs to change. And God, here's what we're going to do. We're going to commit 21 days to pray and fast and seek your face. And we believe in the midst of that pursuit, you'll give us direction. And I just believe that's a word from you, Lord. That in the midst of our pursuit of you, you'll direct every step that we take. As we pursue you and your purpose and plan for our life, you'll direct our steps, order our steps. So I pray for each one. God, that walked in here with a need. We love you, Jesus. Amen. God bless you, Matthew Robertson.